what's fascinating about the shir I did in um, <coughs> the reconstruction of Pesach in uh, Moria <coughs> is that particular section with B.K. Shachadosh Asot Malach HaMashiach, Basantcherev, Ogumagog, that particular section is one of the uh, high points of my life, that I should say the same shot in 68, and Rav Shneer Cutler should challenge me, and that the Rav should say exactly the same shot, except the Yetta Amkut, with more proof, in 72, and I should hear it in the 80s. It's an amazing comment on Talmud Torah. Uh, it reminds me of the Rav's talk at the Pinyon Haben of the Karasik uh, boy uh, so many uh, years ago already. He's not a boy, he's a, he's a young, he's a man today. But uh, I believe it's Zayf Karasik. I have in my book all the details. But at that talk, the Rav talks about uniting the generations. And here, if only we could bring together 68 with uh, 72 and the early 80s, it would really be a great achievement. But anyway, at least on a spiritual level, it's uniting the generations and continuing the dialogue between the generations. Um, what's interesting is I used that very effectively. I used it again in Florida. And uh, the rabbi of uh, one of the shuls, it's a whole story there, but one of the rabbis is a Lakewood uh, product. And he's caught up in a crossfire. Of course, his father was rabbi of a shul for many years. His father just died. And the Balabatim had a big battle uh, whether they wanted a YU person or a Lakewood person. And uh, it was something very funny happened because in the shul that the Lakewood person was, the YU person won the uh, job. And in, the sh- and in a different shul where there was a YU person who moved on to West Orange, they took the Lakewood person. So that uh, the Akolam uh, Akomo, I want to say Yavoba Shalom yet because there's still a lot of tension, but nevertheless, look what happened. And in that community with YU and Lakewood and each one trying to show that the YU person can deal with Lakewood people and the Lakewood people wants to show that he can deal with YU people, I was able to use this Devat Torah uniting Lakewood and YU very effectively. So I have to say that of many things I heard from the Rav, the few that I had as much Hana out of, as much use out of, as that particular Maimon Chazal and the Rav's interpretation with the Rambam, etc. Okay. Be it as it may, this was one time the Rav handled the Haggadah. And as I said, throughout the decades, the Rav came back to the Haggadah many, many times. After the Rebetzin died, uh, the Rav instituted a Yotzai Chi in her memory. Um, I, I, you know, again, the Rav never explained what was on his mind, but I think what the Rav had in mind is very simple. That just as he immortalized his father, Rav Moshe, with the famous Yotzai Chi in Lundis, and reached the heights of Halach Vagada, the Rav wanted to immortalize the Rebetzin. But if you go back to the original Shia, and I remember how it was planned originally, the original Shia in memory of the Rebetzin, 1968, the Rebetzin died in 67, so the original Shia was planned for 1968. It originally was planned, I remember I was a Rebbe in the Yeshiva at the time, so it was originally planned for Stern College. And what happened was that Rumors spread that there would be such a great crowd uh, coming. If I just checked that the tape is rolling, that it's recording, that there would be such a great crowd coming that so many uh, men intended to go down to Stern College that they were frightened the crowd would be too large for the Stern College Auditorium because I think the Sacha called the Stern College Auditorium can hold it from not, I once spoke there. If I'm not mistaken, it can hold about six, seven hundred people, but it can't hold more. 
The Y Auditorium can hold already 1,500. If you use the standing room, the upstairs, you can go on to about 1,700. So uh, they switched it to uptown. It was never heard at Stern College, as far as my memory, as far as I recollect. Now, but what does this tell us? Uh, uh, what does it tell us? It tells us that what the Rav planned in memory of the Rabbitson was not to reach the same heights of Zumdas. It was to be a more popular lecture, originally geared at women, and he wanted it to be something in memory of the Rabbitson on more of a philosophical theme. And uh, over the years, the Rav gave a number of very memorable talks in memory of the Rabbitson. Uh, as you know, because the Rabbitson died on Tainit Esther, so many of these talks wound up being given around Purim time, and I don't think the Rav ever analyzed Purim more than he did in the Tanya Salavachik Memorial Lectures. Again, over the years, the Rav, uh, it, it becomes spotty. You know what I mean by spotty? Um, whereas the Yotzai Chi and memory of Rav Moshe continue without interruption, although the context and the format changed as the Rav became uh, more aged and more enfeebled. So, of course, it changed from the original, what you had, the Halacha, the Agada, the four and a half, five-hour Shia of the 50s into the 60s. By the 70s, it became like a two, two and a half hour Shia with the Halacha and Agada blended into one. It was no longer the classic uh, presentation of the Rav, where the two uh, disciplines were kept totally separate. With the Sherman memory of the Rebbets and Tanya Salavechik, by the mid-70s, if, if my memory is correct, there was a Shia given in 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73. I, I don't recall 74, but I remember 75, 76. I don't believe there was a Shia. 77, he gave a Shia again. Uh, uh, 8, I, then, I again question whether it was this year, 79, he combined it with the Mendel Gottesman Memorial Lecture. So you see, and that was the last year. That one was the last public year in memory of the Rebbitson. Now, the year that I want to recreate here was the, what, the, the one time the Rev touched upon the Haggadah. And this year was given May 23rd, 1977. Now, this year had wide reverberations. It had wide reverberations simply because by this time the Rev was very famous and that YU was much larger, American Orthodoxy was much larger, and, and Hamon Ha'am came to the year. Okay, and the Rev, the Rev reacts, that's what I mentioned yesterday, that uh, this is a Shia where the Rev interacted with the audience. And in the context of the Shia, I'll tell you an unbelievable story, which again sheds light on the Rev as a Rebbe, as Talmidim, and the whole era. But this was the Shia in 1977. Now, the first part, he goes along some of the lines of the talk he gave at Midrashat Maria, although you see their differences. Um, and the Rev began that the Apasik from Vitui Bikurim becomes the most basic concept in the Haggadah. What do we say in Vidui Bikurim? The Varm Chafav Pasuk Hei. V'yanitu v'yamatos ne'ashem elokecha arami ovei davi v'yedred mitzrayma v'yagam sham b'mtei miyat v'yehishem l'goi gadol atzum v'rav. Now, in the Vidu Bikurim, this is the main Pasuk. The individual comes, he's bringing his Bikurim. You can imagine his joy. The moment has come where Baruch Hashem, he can bring the Bikurim to the base Hamikdash. And he begins, and he talks about Arami Ovei Now, just for translation, what is the word Ovei See, this itself is an interesting question, which so much has been said on. The translation means that the Aramai tried to destroy 
my father. Exactly when did Lavan try to destroy our fathers? So here you have pshatim al pshatim, drashat al drashat, pilpul al pilpulim. But nevertheless, this is the Pasuk in the Torah. Why? Why is the Mevi Bikurim? Why is this Pasuk so essential? So the Rav explained that we see here that when a person brings Bikurim, he has to talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You can't just have the joy of we have the land, we have the Bikurim, we have the first fruits, here we are. Salenu al kafatenu. You have to remember where it began, how how low you were, and and thank God that you reached this day. That look at the Jewish people; their destiny is such. And thank God, here we are. He didn't succeed. We have the land. We have Bikurim, and and we're zeichet to come to the Beis Hamikdash. The same thing on Leil Haseda, we have a very similar chiyuv. That that on Leil Haseda, we have to talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but we have to talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim giving us the entire story of our humble beginnings coming to our great redemption. Yes, David. Uh, you, you, you mean you want to say that you can be Yodzei Havad Bikurim without the Kriya? Yeah, but when when there is a Kriya, this was the text that was chosen. That Kaddish Baruch Hu states the text. There's an open pasuk in the Torah. You can't change it. No, of course. But, 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 but no, but but the point is when you do have to say a text, this is the text that you have to say. And the amazing thing is that we choose the same text, the same text for Leil Haseda. And now, when it comes to Leil Haseda, uh, you see here, it's just the opposite of what you said. When it comes to Leil Haseda, the Torah didn't specify which text to say. The Torah just said, The Torah didn't specify a text. When it comes to Bikurim, the Torah specified the text. That if you're going to say a text with Havat Bikurim, Vanita Viyamata. This is the text you have to say. And this is the formal text, you understand? We see already the Torah chose a formal text. What does it mean, a formal text? That when you bring Bikurim, this is the formal text you have to say. Leil Haseidu, we look for a formal text. We choose the same text as Havad Bikurim. Now why? Why? Why is there such an interconnection? Why is there such an intrinsic translation of values that both for Habad Bikurim and for Leil HaSeder, we ground the whole mitzvah on the same text. So the Rebbe explained beautifully that what is involved in Hakarat, what is involved in Vitui Bikurim? Vitui Bikurim, what does it mean? It's Hakarat HaTov. In other words, a farmer comes, you all understand, you've all lived through this past year in Israel, a drought. A drought is frightening. We started to pray, we added prayers. All of you know the great joy when rain finally fell. And a farmer, when you're in a society where you see the basics of nature, you can appreciate what it means, that you have land, that, that you work the land, you till the soil, that, that, that you have water, that you have fruit, that you have bikurim, that you have parents you can be proud of, that you can bring to Yerushalayim. 
Same thing with Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim. What is Yitzhak Mitzrayim talking about? Yitzhak Mitzrayim is also a karakatob. We have avadim. We came out of Egypt. God redeemed us. These are nisim nisim. The varum chafav perik pasuk gimel ubatar ala kohen asheyeh beyomim chachem viyamata love. He got it hayom lehayom laHashem lokecha ki bati alaritz asheneshpa Hashem lavakainu latayt lanu. And you see, you introduce the vidui bikurim. He got it hayom lefnei Hashem lokecha. And this is what it means. This is a Haggadah. This is a person needs a text of thanksgiving. This is the text of thanksgiving. And this is what it means, lahodot Hashem. And this is what the word Higadati means. And the Tagim Yonatan ben Oziel, if you look into his translation, he explains it, Odinan Yomandain. What does it mean, Odinan Yomadein? That a model, a hodot, that this is what I'm doing at this moment. And this is what Hafod Bikurim is all about. And this is the same thing in relation to Yisit Mitzrayim. It means Hakaratatov. The same concept. Odinan Yomundain called the Mashamalokecha. Hakaratatov. And we say it in the Haggadah. Lafikach. Anachnu Chayavim Lahodat. And that that when it comes when it comes to to the Haggadah, there's a Chiyav Lahodat. It's just like Havad Bikurim. So what do we see here, the Rav said? What do we see here? I, I, that's the tape for you, and that's uh, my sermon. If I have time, I'll comment later on the article. I read it. I couldn't put it down last night. So no matter how busy I was, uh, and I accomplished everything I wanted to last night. After class, I'll finish it out. Uh, I, I left a long dictation up in the office for Schafstein, but we're rolling. We are rolling. I'm very impressed. I sat with him four and a half hours. He understood. So Baruch Hashem. Anyway, but l- let me say a proper shit today. So you see what the Rebbe is saying. You have to be bothered right away. Of all the texts in the world, why did they choose the text of Havot Bikurim? Rebani Shalaylam, it's Leil HaSeida. Someone would wake uh, Daniel Yaakov up in the middle of the night, what text should we choose? Pashat Bo, all the texts be read last Shabbat, perhaps Bishalach, but I would even say, Why did they choose the text of Havot Bikurim? And this is the Rav Schap, that a Jew has to be Maketoiva. And the Pasha of Hakaratatov is the Pasha of Bikurim. This is it in a nutshell. This is why the Rav touched up the Yonatan ben Uziel. This is why he quoted it. Odina Yomakain. Odina, Lahodat. And wherever it says Vigadata, that's what it means. That's Bikurim. It's not just telling a story, it's to be Makatoiva. And since Bikurim and Haggadah have the same Shoresh, it's rooted in the same concept, that's why we choose the same Pasha. Now, you might say, everyone should say, freedom of choice, choose the Pasha you want. However, when it comes to the first level of telling the story of Bikurim, Yitzit Mitzrayim, there's a din in Kriya. Once there's a din in Kriya, then 
you need Torah Shebechtav. This is a din of reading a Pasha, Kriyata Pasha, V'yigadata, V'yanita V'yamata, Aram Yovei This is a din in Kriyat Pasha. Once there's a din in Kriyat Pasha, we don't leave it to everyone to choose a text. There already has to be a formal text. This is like a Torah reading. It's like any other Torah reading. Nothing is left to chance. Chazal have to choose a Pasha. That's why they chose this text. That's why there's a fixed text. That's why it's the same text for Avod Bikurim and for Haggad. And it all comes from the concept of Hakaratatov, Torah Shebechtav, choosing a Pasha. This is the one that Chazal chose. And because the Shorish is the same, it's the same Pasha for Avod Bikurim and Haggadah. And on this level, both these concepts are equal. Now, this is the first point you have said. Well, what's interesting is if you're listening to the tape, you can feel that the Rav is reacting to the audience in that they're not entirely following him. Now, remember what I told you a moment ago. These Yotzai Shem, memory the Rebetzin, were geared for mainly Stern College. Uh, I would imagine today, 20 plus years later, the women would have absolutely no trouble following the Rav because nowadays... Willy-nilly, women have been exposed to Talmudic learning and Talmudic thinking, and, and I, I already have uh, students of mine, the Briskaderich, etc., and they understand that their minds are their minds are as as, as good as men. Uh, uh, so willy-nilly, they have been exposed to this. In 1977, where the Rebbe is talking about the same Shoresh, the same Machayev, Kriyat Hapasha, the same text, Hakarit Hatov you could feel there was a little uh, difficulty in the audience in grasping what the Rav said. So here the Rav uh, uh, said something, I'll say, cracked a joke, but the audience is very appreciative. The Rav said, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, because this year, if you see my notes, this year was written out at a very early stage in the development of this course, and this is all written out in Hebrew. I originally gave this to Israelis, and it was given at a time where the Rav was alive and thriving, and they didn't have to recreate the Rav word by word, because people only wanted to hear his chidushim, they knew his style. So the Rav says to the audience, don't worry, I'm only warming up. You'll, you know, as if you'll understand me, like a pitcher, just warming up. I'm just beginning to warm up. Don't worry. And, and the, the truth is, he just was warming up. But the, the audience, you can hear the laughter, you know, reverberates throughout the audience, and you can get a feeling, you know, see, this was the rubber already interacting with his Talmudim, the students, the men, the women. There was a, there was a break kind to the rubber, a broadness that you didn't see elsewhere. See, we, and I have to tell you that even in the 50s, that broadness was there. The difference was that the students feared him. In other words, there the great kind was felt more by the older people, the Rabbanim, the RCA. Do you understand? They already interacted with the Rav on a different level. But the Talmidim had this tremendous awe. By the 1970s, the awe was there, but it was a grandfather relationship. See, in my time, I would say it was a big brother relationship. Your big brother who smacks you, tells you to shape up. You understand? It was a different relationship. By the 70s already, it was a grandfather-grandson relationship. So you could, I could see the Rav reacting, not with his colleagues, not with the RCA, but Mamish reacting with the young people in front of him. He was, you know, one of the boys, one of the girls. And it's, it's almost paradoxical, because when I studied with the Rav, he was younger than I am, a lot younger than I am today. And... And yet, we, we, it, it was not that relationship. Later in life, when the Rav already was much older than I am, 
But the relationship with the students was much closer. It's interesting. It's fascinating. It has to do with many factors. Uh, it's, it's, I don't want to go into it now. But you can understand yourself. It has to do with his wife had died. And he greatly mellowed. And he needed to, He leaned on his students. When all is said and done, the students took care of him. And it was a whole different relationship. As a matter of fact, I saw pictures of the Rev in the 80s in Florida. And it's the first time I ever saw a Rev with a black hat. And, I, and it was just what I told you. Who bought him the black hat? He needed a hat. At that point in life, he couldn't go out the stores. Kozman, his wife, was alive, and he was still well and healthy. Now he could barely walk. So students bought him a hat. What kind of hat did they buy in the 80s? They bought him a black hat. It's the first time I ever saw a picture of the Rav in a black hat. Okay, now the Rav goes further. And here already, the Rav, you'll see your brisk developing. The Rav developing, I, heard my shroom, I think I did it last year. You'll see it's, it's, it's the Rav... It's based upon a Yotzai Shir he gave in the early 70s on Kriyat Torah. It's written up, it's published in the Shirim, the Zeichab Amari. But here you see the Rav already uh, going further. And the Rav said, nevertheless, on the first level, on the first level, where you talk about Kriyat Vidui Bikurim and Kriyat Hagata, they're equal. However, that's only on the first level. On that level, it's a mechanical reading. Now, what does a mechanical reading mean? And I know I, here I explained in great detail a year or two ago. A mechanical reading means it's an amazing thing. Everyone is Yotzei Kriyat HaTorah, even if they don't understand one word of what the Balkori is reading. That's a mechanical reading. You go into an American shul. How many Jews, I mean, let's get away from New York, from the five towns, how many Jews understand Kriyat HaTorah? I mean, even pious Jews, the Balei Tshuva today, you know that there's a whole industry out there with linear translations. I saw they showed me in America so proudly. There's now a whole set of Sidurim, linear translations. Okay, it's, it's wonderful. I don't want to sound, I'm not Rabbi Gorelick, I don't want to sound sarcastic. I want to look at it the opposite way. Thank God we have a generation where Jews are seeking out linear translations of Davani and Chumash. You understand what I'm saying? Rabbi Yeruchim would say, Oy vey, what a generation we have that the idiots need a linear translation. I want to put it the opposite way. But think for a moment. You're reading the Torah in a big shul. 500 people are listening Shabbos morning. 300 don't know Hebrew. Are they Yotzei? Not Yotzei. No, they're absolutely Yotzei. Because the reading of the Torah is a purely mechanical performance. That's the halacha. Create Megillah. Create Megillah. It's the same concept. And, and you can go on and on uh, uh, with proving this. And the, and the and relation to Megillah. It's an open Mishnah that a Loazi who hears it, even though he doesn't understand it, he shan't say. Because that's a din in Kriya. And the same thing in relation to Hakel, Tanashim, Hashim Vataf. Even if they don't understand it, remember the Gemara says openly that that people will not understand it, but they are yotzei the chiyuv because it's a din in mechanical reading. Now, that's Torah Shabbatav. Naftali, now I want to ask you a question: What about Torah Shabbatav? Someone's saying you shouldn't Torah Shabbatav. Are you yotzei the mitzvah? Someone comes into class. Let's say Rabbi Lichtenstein is saying Yeshia. And a guy walks in who barely knows Hebrew, barely has that type of background. And here he's coming to hear the great Rabbi Lichtenstein. He hears this Zechad, Megadole Yisrael, make him Olam Shel Torah, or hake him Olam Shel Torah. The Rab's son-in-law in his own right, a great gong, and he comes to hear the Shia. And he sits for two hours, 
and he doesn't understand one word, not the Hebrew, not the text, not the development, not the Rishon, nothing. Tell me, is he Yotzei Kama Torah? Ephraim, what do you say? What do you say? Uh, yeah, you're quoting the Yotzei Shir. The Yotzei Shir, the Rav. Tamatari is not Yotzei. It could be. He's Yotzei Kavar Torah. You'll read about that in Rakefet's book on the Rav. There you'll have it black and white. But uh, it's one of my, I mean, one of the most moving pieces where the Rav, oh, where he describes Haslavich and Rav Moshe's uh, 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 Pesach Drasha and Rav Moshe's Trivadrasha and he describes he says over a thousand people would jam the shul he said maybe a hundred understood what Rav Moshe was saying but the other nine hundred looked with the Chilu Rechim what were the Makayim they certainly were not Makayim Talmud Torah but they were Makayim Lasuk Lasuk Isuk Torah okay I don't want to develop it now but I want to what I want for this class is one simple point we'll all agree that the, for the sake of argument this morning was Kriyat HaTorah alright I imagine everyone here understands Kriyat HaTorah where I daven uh, certainly everyone understands Kriyat HaTorah but imagine we're in London now we're in London we're, we're in London and you know nice old fashioned London Jews from the old type the United Synagogue who know that you have to hear Kriyat HaTorah Monday and Thursday they don't know Hebrew they don't know what they're reading are they say absolutely but you'll take that same Jew and bring him into into a shear of Shas and Paiskim. If he sits there like a dummy, he doesn't know what you're saying. There's no mitzvah of Tama Torah. He's bored stiff. He's bored out of his mind. Ah, but that's on the intellectual level. But beyond that, Ephraim is right. There's a kiyum of Kavara Torah, uh, Ahavata Torah, Isuk Torah. Call it what you wish. I don't want to go further on that point because that's one of the rubs. Great Yatzite Shurim that would just... Fabulous. He carried an audience to heights that were beyond description. But what we need for this year is, we all agree, on the first level, Mikra Bikurim and Haggadah, Adin and Kriya, the Pasha, you read it, you say, you bring the Mikra Bikurim, you bring the Bikurim, you don't know Hebrew, you don't know anything, the coin helps you say it, you barely read it, you say. However, when it comes to Sipu Yitzis Mitzrayim, there's much more than a formal text. It begins with a formal text, but the obligation is, remember we said this last time, to translate the formal text through Torah Shabbat Peh. Leil HaSeda, there's an obligation of Dashanut, of Limud. You have to be Doresh, Kol HaPasha Kula. And therefore what begins with a formal text, Lel HaSeidah now deviates from Mikra Bikurim. And what begins with a formal text turns into a night of learning and studying going deeper and deeper and dashanut. Ah, and here already, what are we talking about? Once we get involved in Torah Shabbat it means we must explain the formal Pasha through the dashanut of Torah Shabbat And what is Torah Shabbat and here the Rav cites the Gemara Brachat. See, this is very fascinating. The Rav cites the Gemara Brachat, Brachat, Tafhei Yomar Aleph, Yud Aleph Hamid Bet. The Gemara in Brachat talks about Torah Shabbat Peh. Two different places. Hey Yomar Aleph, Yud Aleph Hamid Aleph. And it lists out three different components of Torah Shabbat Peh. Number one, Midrash. What does number one Midrash mean? Simply the Dashanut. That you explain the concepts of Torah Shabbat Peh, Aliyadei Torah Shabbat Number two, the Gemara talks about Mishnah. What is Mishnah? Mishnah is Halacha Brura. In other words, Mishnah already is not Nashanud, it's open, shut, 
black and white halacha. And number three, the Gemara talks in terms of Gemara. What is Gemara? How does Rashi? Pilpula diorita, svara. What does it mean? Halachic thinking. The shak levitaria. The give and take. So that in Torah we have three distinct components. Midrash, Mishnah, Gemara. No? Where do we have it? In the Haggadah. In the Haggadah, we have all three aspects. Once you get involved in dashing the Torah Shabbat you have to have Midrash, Mishnah, Gemara. Where do we have it? We dash in it with all the Maimarei Chazal, all the Dashanut, sentence by sentence, word by word. That's the heart of the Haggadah. Fine, that's the Dashanut. Everything we dash in, all the Makot, 10, 40, 50, 200. What's the maximum? Do we reach 250? Or is 200 the maximum? We read some with the Dashanut. It is fabulous. By the way, uh, you know, the old question there, what does it matter to us how many makat the Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim had? You know the answer. I, I think it's attributed to the Vilna Gon, but it's a meritic answer. So the Vilna Gon says, makash, Mitzrayim no So the more makat we can give Mitzrayim, the less makat a Jew is eligible for. You understand? So it's a meritic thought. Okay, that's the Dashanut. Where do we have the Mishnah? Open Mishnah. Open halacha. Rabbi Gamliel haya omer, kol shalom amash lo shadavarim elu, elu bepesach lo yatsayadei chavatav. Isn't that an open Mishnah? Isn't that the, perhaps the most important part of all the dashanut? Because there you come to halacha lamaisa. As a matter of fact, isn't the halacha that at that point you have to call in all the shvachat, all the maidservants, everyone around you must hear the open Mishnah because that is mamish halacha brura. Where do we have Gemara in the Haggadah? No, what do you say? Where do we have Avi? If I just touched up Gemara, halachic thinking. Where do you shakla v'taya? Where do you have it? So the Rav said so beautifully. It's logical deduction. It's a kalvachoma. If God did all these miracles for us, then it's a logical deduction. It's like a kavachoma, like a furiori, and that's gemara. So the rub said, when it comes to avod pikurim, all this doesn't fit into the picture. All this doesn't play any role. You read the pasha. It's like this morning. This morning. Daven 6.30, face by 5 to 7, they reach Kriyat HaTorah. 7 o'clock, they reach Kriyat HaTorah. You read the Torah. You're finished. Imagine a guy would get up and say, well, we read the Torah, now we have to dash in what we read in Pashat B'Shalach. They'd throw him away, throw him out. We have to go to work. It's a busy day. It's a work day. What are you wasting our time? We ought to say, he's absolutely right. The Balabatim are right. Dashinur has nothing to do with Kriyat HaTorah. That's Avod Bikurim. When it comes in relation to the Haggadah, here there's Talmud Torah. Once there's Talmud Torah, it's Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat Once you get involved in Torah Shabbat what is Torah Shabbat And there the Rav said so beautifully, the Dashanut, the Medrash, the Mishnah, which is the Halacha, 
and the Gemara, which is the Pilpula, the Oraita, or in our simple language, the logic of understanding the sugya, the logical deductions. Talmud Torah, there already the Torah says, Shmot Yuted Pasukimel, Kol Tomale Beit Yaakov, Vitagid Levnei Yisrael. Tagid, it's Haggadah, Talmud Torah, Torah Shabal and Rashi sings in the name of the Mechilta, Onshin Vidigdukin, Perish Lesharim, Davarim Hakoshin Kugidin. In other words, Kol Tomale Beit Yaakov, the rough touched up the Pasuk, there it's sufficient just to tell them the Torah. You don't have to scare them, don't have to go on the Torah Shabbatah. By the way, this might fit in very nicely with the Rambam's Psak that when it comes to Talmud Torah for women, that you're allowed to teach the women Talmud, yeah, yeah, Torah Shabbatah, Torah Shabbatah. You know what I'm talking about? The, it's a very simple, there's a tremendous question on the Rambam. The Gemara says clearly, that you're not allowed to, the Mishnah says, Kvebeles's famous viewpoint in the Mishnah, in Saita, uh, it's, uh, I believe it's Tafchaf Aleph in the Mishnah, Tafchaf Aleph Amid Bet is the whole figure in Shas, that a woman is not allowed to be taught Torah. Komala may be taught Torah, Limda Tiflet. So of course, Tiflet is a very strong word. It means if you teach a woman Torah, you're teaching her obscenities. A, a miscreant sexual behavior, Ma, to behave like Monica uh, Lewinsky, who today might be testifying, it's, she's back in the news again. No, did you ever wonder how could Rebbe Yes say this? No, what's pshat? I want to ask you. No, no, you fellas are young rabbis. What's pshat? I mean, we paskin like Rebbe Yes. That's the amazing thing that Benazze says. You see, there's a whole problem. The problem is schutola. Do you know? I don't, I'll go into it if you don't know it. I don't want to waste time in it. But if you don't know it, it fits right in here. It's a chibdish just fell into my mind. It's beautiful. Do you know the sugi? You don't know the sugi. Why is that sugi get off the floor? What's the problem? Schutola. It's very simple. When you teach your kids, for the sake of argument, I brought back uh, gifts for all my grandchildren. So I have the young grandchildren, among them I have a two-year-old. So that two-year-old, he loves music, so I brought him back a xylophone. So I give it to him Thursday night, okay? We got back Thursday night, and his father picked us up at the airport because his army base is in Tel Aviv, so we, was, we had to wait a little while. I was at a meeting with generals, but the meeting ended, and he said he has to pick up his in-laws at the airport. It was about uh, 5.30, fine. So the kids already called the car, you know, today with the instant communication. As I said, I think I said it last night in Shia, they already are waiting for us at the house, including a two-year-old. So I give him a xylophone. Comes Friday afternoon, comes Shabbos, the kid wants to hack the xylophone. So you have to tell him, I don't know if you do or you don't, but let's say you want to tell him it's muksi, you can't play the xylophone on Shabbos. So what do you say to a kid? So you say to a kid, don't play the xylophone on Shabbos or God will strike you dead. You take an older kid, an older kid that wants to uh, drive his car in Shabbos. Don't drive your car in Shabbos, God will strike you dead. Or let's make uh, a simple example. You say to Ari Goldman on the west side of New York, reading his book, The Search for God of Harvard, don't sleep around before you're married or God will strike you dead. No, you all know very well, the kid will hack the xylophone, God won't strike him dead. The kid will drive on Shabbos, God won't strike him dead. Loa Lenu, plenty of from Jews are sleeping around. Single girls are going to mikvah. God have mercy what goes on in marriage today. And God doesn't strike these people dead, at least not right away. I have to, if you live long enough, you see they are struck dead, but I don't want to go into that. Uh, God doesn't strike them dead right away. And you all know, I mean, I have to give you basic understanding of Yiddishkeit. Now, what's the problem with Sotah? 
Sultar has a tremendous built-in problem. Sultar is the only example we have in the Torah of trial by ideal. See, the ancient people had a concept trial by ideal. You have here, America's wasting millions of dollars, Clinton, Monica, Shmonica. It's very simple. Make them take off their shoes, heat up the stones, and let Bill and Monica walk on the burning hot stones. If their feet are not singed, that's not taking If they get singed, you execute them. That's trial by ideal. And the ancient world saved a lot of money. They didn't have lawyers and didn't have prosecutors, didn't waste money on, on witnesses. They heated up the stones and told you to walk and then checked your feet. If your feet were singed, they chopped your head off. Wasn't the problem. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, I guess there were always miracles. Like the guy, they just stoned the guy. I, I forget in what country. I was reading the New York Times. Some Arab country, some guy uh, had relations with his niece or something. So they stoned him and a house caved in on him. And he and the guy is only badly injured. Then I got to spend a million dollars to heal him. But the halacha is that if he survives the stoning, it's a sign in his mind that he wasn't guilty. Understand? It just happened last week. It was in the, all over America, the New York Times, etc. Two weeks ago. So... With, with the sultah, there's a tremendous problem. What is the sultah? It's trial by ordeal. We're giving her the bitter waters. We want to scare the hell out of her. We want it to be modin. Only give a sultah where she's not moda, where she, where you're chayshish. I mean, I cannot, you know, I don't want to go into the explain it beautifully. The whole idea is to get it to be moda. We're scaring the hell out of her. But now what happens if she is as guilty as sin? She makes Monica Levinsky look like a chorus girl in a church choir. And, and this girl is as guilty as sin, and she drinks the bitter waters, and she walks away laughing. I faked out HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I slept around, and here I drank the bitter waters, and I fife on all of you. That's the problem. So the Mishnah says, Haschut Tola. Do you understand? No one, there's no one who's totally evil. All of us have good points and bad points. Some of us, again, it's, uh, some of us are more tzaddik than Russia, some more Russia than tzaddik. But no one is totally evil. So that she may walk away, that's the Mishnah. And therefore, and the Mishnah says very beautifully, one year, two years, three years, so I learned from the Ravari, it says one, two, three years, it means four years, five years, six years, ten years, twenty years, she gave money to poor people, she had poor people across the street, she was decent to rabbis, whatever it is. Because a woman is an adulteress or a prostitute, it doesn't make her a totally evil person. Okay. So now the problem is Lafika Choma Benazai. This is the Mishnah Sota. Lafika Choma Benazai Chai of Adam Lelamedet Bitol Torah. That you have to teach your daughter Torah that she should understand this principle. Haschut Torah. Rebel Esa says Chas VeChalid and Allah to teach your daughter Torah. Kol Hamalamed Bitol Torah Limdati Flut. So the Gemara later asks Limdati Flut. Kilo Limdati Flut. What's going on here? Excuse me. Ben Asai says you have to teach Rebbe Yesus says it's Tiflut. What's going on here? So Rashi explains, and Rashi is absolutely correct. Rashi explains so beautifully. You see, in that context where women in the Torah civilization, and all of you have learned Ketuvat, you know what I'm talking about, a woman got engaged at 11, 12, got married 10, 12 months later. So a woman never studied. Her life was to learn how she grew up very quickly, by the time she was nine, they were teaching her how to clean a house, how to cook, how to take care of children. In that context, she never studied. So if she's going to study, what are you going to teach her? You're going to teach her, listen, little girl, 
We want to teach you a very important chapter in the Torah. You can't fake out God. If you're going to drink of the bitter waters and you're a sinner, but you're going to live because you did good deeds. So Rashi says so beautifully, if that's what you teach the girl, what does she learn from that chapter? Amumit, she learns how to be shrewd. In other words, she now, she doesn't have the total of Torah experience. She has one little chapter. From that chapter she learns, hey, I better cook bread for the boys in PMT, they're hungry. I have to help Aaron Rakefit carry his books to the car. Then I can do whatever I want at night. God is not, you follow me, Avi? That's what Revelation means. Now, when you explain, and it's Rashi. What I'm saying now is not apologetics. It's not. It's not nothing to do with the 21st century and the onslaught of the feminist movement. This is the pshat. This is Rashi. This is Rashi right there. And Rashi, it's a million percent correct. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. That's exactly what this means. Now, what's fascinating is the Rambam and Hilchot Tamatar. I believe it's Parakalaf Halach Yud Gimel. Check me out. The Rambam says, he quotes the Gemara word by word, And it means, because they're not learning, they're not trained, they're just learning this concept. And then the Rambam says, you're not supposed to teach your daughter, but if you did, it's okay. And all the Rishonim are troubled. Where did the Rambam get this? The Gemara doesn't say it. The Mishnah doesn't say it. Rebbe Yes, it doesn't say it. Where, 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 where did the Gemara get this? Where did the Rambam get this? How did he come to his concept? But if you did, it's okay. Where did the Rambam get this? It's a tremendous question. So the Bach... The Bach uh, says an answer um, that's accepted universally. Anyone familiar with the Bach? The Bach, Rabbi Olsikas, in Hilchot Torah, on the tour, the Bach says a very simple answer. He brings a proof that's irrefutable that women are involved with Torah Shebechtav. What's the proof? Hakel. Now, Hakil is the only time that we are all obligated to hear the Torah Shabbat to hear Kriyat Pasha. It could be a Malik is only men, not women. There already you have a Machloket Rishonim. But Hakil, the Torah itself says, If the Torah itself says it, then women are obligated. If women can be obligated, it means they're involved with Torah Shabbat If they're involved with Torah Shabbat then it can't be forbidden to teach them Torah Shebikhtav. And that's the viewpoint of the Rambam. That's the way the Bach explains the Rambam. So I... Excuse me? No, so, so Torah Shebikhtav without Torah Shebikhtav is no more than Kriyat Pasha. That's exactly it. In other words, to Kriyat Pasha, they have to know what they're reading. That much you can teach them, at least... The, Yeah, you're right, and therefore, and therefore, the Rambam. This is what the Bach says. The Rambam takes it one step further that you are allowed to teach them once they're involved with it. But the, what I want to say here, what the Rebbe is saying, I mean, this is Chazal, but I just go one step further. It's beautiful. I have another proof. So, what did the Rav want this for? The Rav wanted this to show when you're involved with Tagid Hagada, 
you have a right to go to Torah Shabbat Peh. That's a din in Amira. That's a din in Torah Shabbat By the men, you want more. And the Rav wants to show, this is why Leil Haseda, we have a right to demand more. How do we know that Tagid means Torah Shabbat Peh? Because Rashi quotes the Mechilta, Onchen vidik dutin pirish lesharim devarma kashim kigidnim scare the hell out of them, read them the riot act, push them against the wall, slap them, slam them. You understand? Take the man and give him all this musa. That's the Rishabal Pah. Now, so that's what the Rav wanted it for. Okay, Leila Seida, where there's a din in Haggadah, we can have a right to expand the concept of Haggadah. It's the Rishabal Pah. I just dawned upon me, this is another beautiful proof. If women weren't, be, if, if the Torah says, Kol Tomala Bejakov, it means women are involved with Torah Shabbatav. Once they're involved with Torah Shabbatav, then that too becomes a mock for the Rambam. And it shows you what the Bach is saying by Hakel. Here you have it, black and white. Tomala Bejakov, in contradistinction, L'Tagid Livnei Yisrael. Now, I also say in parentheses, it's also fascinating. You see what you see from here. Can anyone tell me? What do you see from here? So many of you have heard Dashanut and Brit Mila. What is Brit Mila all about? A man by nature is less pious than a woman. He's wilder. There are reasons why. Uh, I, I was at Rabbi Salavechik, a famous talk he gave for the Young Israel movement in the late 60s, early 70s, mid 60s, I forget already. But he gave a meridic talk. The gist of the talk was the biological, physiological nature of a woman brings her closer to God. It's a fabulous talk. What was Rebaran saying? A man doesn't have a built-in calendar. Man has no concept of a period, of, of a monthly period. A girl from the age of 12, 13, 14... Part of her life centers around her menstrual cycle. And Rabbaran said so beautifully, and it's, there's been research now in the 80s that confirmed this, done by scientists, nothing to do with Judaism. A woman's menstrual cycle is not just something physical. It is something physiological that subconsciously influences her whole gestalt. And what it translates to is very simple. Whereas a man hitting 21 years of age, why does he feel power and strength and eternity? And he's never going to weaken. And every day he grows stronger and more handsome and more powerful and taller. A woman, on the other hand, by the age of 21... Okay, so what uh, what Rabban Salavechik said, it ties right into the Rishonim. You're looking to the Chinuch. Why does the man have a Brit Mila? The Brit Mila symbolizes educating the man, has to cut himself down, has to limit himself, has to withdraw. He can't conquer the world. He can't conquer everything. That's what Brit Mila is about. 
A woman doesn't need that Brit Milah because her body will ultimately teach her that message even more profoundly than a man. So it's very fascinating. And it ties right in here. You see how it ta'avi? Right in with Rashi. What does Rashi quote the Mechilta? Onshim v'dikdukin, pirish l'scharim, tovarim hakoshim kigitin. Okay? So it's fabulous. It's a whole mahalach that takes a man and woman and in this day of the feminine assault upon us, it's certainly, this is irrefutable. Irrefutable because a woman's body is a woman's body, a man's body is a man, and the differences between them are literally Now I want to say something in parentheses. Do you want to bring, you want me to bring a proof that Rabbaran, by the way, I, I have to tell you with due humility that I said the same thought before Rabbaran when in the 60s to my class in, in YU, I said a very similar thought and when Rabarin said it, I went up to heaven. It's just magnificent. But you want me, want me to bring you a proof that this is correct? Nothing to do with Torah. Can anyone bring me a proof? Something to do, it appears in, uh, in Meiselman's uh, uh, article. You, 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 no, you're not going to find it there. You have to know it. Meiselman mentions something there, which I'll comment on later perhaps. But, uh, but it, it's right in. You want me to bring you a proof that this is correct? Nothing to do with Torah. Can anyone think? Anyone bring a proof? Look. The communists abolished all religion. The communists, literally, to be religious in Russia, required Mesirat Nefesh. They abolished most churches. And they left once in a while what they called the functioning church. That was the term they used. In other words, most churches became museums, became sports centers. But every here and there, they left as a safety valve a functioning church which the KGB oversaw. Just like the synagogue. Every big city had one synagogue in which... The KGB, including Jews, were present on Shabbos spies for the government. It was a safety valve. Tell me, who filled the churches on Sunday morning in Russia throughout the dark ages of the Lenin-Stalin period into modern times? Who filled the churches? No, the babushkas. 90% plus of the worshippers were women. Doesn't that say something to you? And that's exactly what Rabaran said. And it is universally true. Women by nature are more pious than men. This is the bottom line. And this explains to you the whole concept of mitzvah tashes as man grama. Men need such mitzvahs to educate them about the importance of time. Women know the importance of time. They're exempt from such mitzvahs. It's a fabulous, fabulous understanding. Again, we accept the mitzvah and the system of Torah has nothing to do with our understanding. But as far as modern times, where we're under such assault, this is a very profound explanation which is irrefutable. Yes, David, you wanted to ask something? Oh, no, say, do you're asking me, that's a different story. You're asking me, fine, we're dealing with the Rambam. You ask me, Bisman Hazer, how did the Rav teach Torah Shabbat Per in Maimonides? He was the first one in 1937 when he organized Maimonides to set down his principle that men and women are treated equally. So, so no, no, why are, you, why are you asking on the Rav? You ask on the Chavetz Chaim. Look into the Chavetz Chaim, gentlemen, the beer halacha. What am I talking about? halacha. The, the Likute, oh God, would you guys, it's like babies. Let me be, I'll, uh, Joshua, I will deal with it. Relax, relax, we'll deal with it. We'll, it he says, no, he's, listen to me carefully. So the Chavetz Chaim already says, times have changed, women no longer 
are at home, women go to school, we have to teach them. So let me let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you a little story. In 1974, I walked into Michalah. I was living in Israel five years. And um, I see everyone is crying. Why is everyone crying? Rav Shach had just issued a famous letter. I have a copy of it, of course, in my files. A letter against the Michalah that has for Khalila any girl should go there. And in the letter, three people are attacked uh, practically by name. Uh, Yehuda Koopman is Kohen, Aaron Rakefet is Levi, and Mordechai Breuer gets Shlishi. And uh, the, the reason the letter was issued was that a lot of Beisnakov girls were coming to Michwala. And, uh, and, and Koopman just published the catalog. Publishing a catalog is very dangerous because everyone can see it. So someone showed it to Rav Shach. Rav Shach took a look what Rabbi Koopman is teaching. He was teaching biblical criticism, how to refute biblical criticism. Rav Shach threw a cherem at him. How dare you teach about biblical criticism? Who says the students will believe the refutation will believe the biblical criticism? It happened there that I was teaching girls. This is very interesting. It happened there I was teaching girls responsible literature. Women have to know this. Rav Shach goes crazy. By the way, in the original draft of the letter... He, and it's crossed out, it seems Rabbi Koopman had written in with the Cadillac had that some of the de- problems I deal with in a Yishur, Taguna, Mamzeret, Hasrachama Lachutir, artificial insemination, how do you dare talk about these topics in public? But evidently someone read what Rav Shach wrote and told him that the world won't accept what he's saying because by the 1970s, these were, you know, burning issues. Aguna, Mamzeret, AID. So he crushed it out. Rav Mordechai Breuer, of course, deals with Shini Nishat, variant readings, and of course he ripped the hell out of us. So Rav Koopman is very upset. Went to America that summer and they made an appointment for him with Rav Moshe Feinstein. So he came into Rav Moshe and, and he's, you know, Rav Koopman coming to Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Moshe says, I was in Deborah, Rav Koopman quoted it, and I, I mean, I have every reason to believe it's word by word. Rav Moshe was Vila for Meich. The Chavetz Chaim is Shein Matigaven. Now, what does he want out of you? The Chavetz Chaim was already Matia. And, and in other words, if the Chavetz Chaim already is Matia to learn Menorah Tamar, you know what he brings down there. Sperm like that. So, of course, as the generation moves on. Gentlemen, you want to know the truth? This is the truth. This question takes us into a very delicate question that I've thrown out and I'm not going to answer it. You can think about it and play with it. I've played with it already for 50 years of my life since the time I was 10. It's a very delicate question and the question is very simple. Is there an ideal Torah civilization or does Torah ideally fit into every civilization? What does it mean? What does it mean? We just said a moment ago at all of you who know at the time of the Mishnah, how old were girls when they got married? 11, 12. Until 100 and Rabbi Khan Inspector, we spoke about him last night. How old was he when he got married? 14 years of age. How old was his wife? 13. Rebellion Prussian, I have it in my book. How old was he when he got married? I think 15 years of age. How old was Gutta? Tovr is named for her, gra- her, grand- her great-grandmother, Gutta. Gutta in Yiddish is Tovr in Hebrew. It's no big secret. Gutta Tovr. How old was Gutta when she got married? 14 years of age. No. So I want to ask a question. Is that the ideal? Is that the ideal? Or 
No, that's the way they lived then. It's like I would say to you in the Torah, the mansion, God would come along and talk about computers in the Torah. Who could understand computers? I still don't understand computers. I mean, it's unbelievable. I buy my, I buy my kids a little thing. It costs me thirty, forty dollars. I can't even see what I'm paying for. It's, it's about a school bus visits, dinosaurs, and and my daughter told me that that for twenty four hours from Thursday till a minute before Shabbos, the kids were at their computer with that school bus. They're going crazy with joy. I, I can't believe it. If someone would give me a little thing like that, I'd look at it for a minute and throw it away. And they tell me out of this little thing, you have thousands. Who can understand it? Bainishalala. I'm going to fax Sharfstein later this morning, set the book, uh, the, the next stage rolling. I'm going to fax him from here, 10-page fax. He's going to come into his office at 9 o'clock, and there's my fax waiting for him. Who can understand these things? Or no. This is all a compromise. Maybe we should live that way. This is the heart of the problem. Now, you want to give me, can any London here give me an example where this problem hits you right in the eyes? Right in the eyes, no? Right in our ballpark. The Gemara and Gittin, Dafsamachamid Bed, Torah Shabbatav, Torah Shabbatav. How are we allowed to write it down? The Torah Shabbatav, Torah Shemlam Rambal Ped, Torah Shabbatav, Torah Shemlam Katfan. Then you take the Gemara and Sanhedrin, Peichet Amit Bed, that, that, that it was almost Shtei Torah. Who had time to learn 40 years? So you see, there's a very delicate question here. Was the ideal that we should study 40 years? Imagine you have a Rebbe 40 years, Ephraim Zatam Rebheshul Shechda. 40 years, Yemeshamis Rebheshul. Imagine if I would have had the Schut 40 years to be Meshamish Teraf. I have Talmudim have studied with me, I have to say, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, but no one ever studied me 40 years. Although there may be exceptions, I shouldn't even say that, because the Talmudim started studying me in the early 70s, and they still get my shurim until today. Okay, but life isn't like that today. You understand the problem? This is a tremendous problem. And we wrote down Torah Shabbat Peh. How could we write down Torah Shabbat Peh? It's forbidden. No, Avi, it's forbidden. What does that mean? What do you mean? We're Reformed Jews, we're conservative Jews? No, what it means is very simple. That in one civilization we live that way. In this civilization we have to live a different way. And it means today we write down Torah Shabbat Pan. No one in the world is going to tell you don't write down Torah Shabbat Pan. There's no one, even in Lakewood, even in Panovich, even, even, even the mere guys that ate your hearts out. I still suffer for you. I, I can't believe how you guys get so upset because uh, some, some, some mere yeshiva wife said, what? Men and women talk to each other? You introduce me to your husbands? I'm still shaking from, from what you cried to me that night. It's unbelievable. But even these guys, no one has yet said, we're not going to write down Torah Shabbat Peh, right or wrong. They're also producing Sfarim, also producing Chidushe Torah, also writing down, also taking notes on their Rebbe Shur. Everyone is using the Rambam and the Nosei Kalem. No one said, no, I'm too from. I don't want to use any Torah Shabbat Peh that's written down. Same thing with women. That's what the Chafetz Chaim is saying. That's what the Rav said. That's what the Lubavitcher Rebbe said. Could be, in an ideal civilization, the father wraps the girl up with a bow and hands it to the husband. And he says, until now, Yochevet has been my responsibility. Now, Yochevet is your responsibility. Understand? Until now, Elisa, Elisa's your wife's name? Alyssa has been my responsibility, Dr. Turov says, 
Certainly your mother-in-law couldn't have taken responsibility. She looks younger than your wife. I never had an experience like that. I thought my eyes were. I'm glad you... But you told me last night made me feel happy because I thought maybe my eyes are gone. This guy's introducing me to this girl. This is my wife. I feel, that's your mother, right? It's not a second wife. Maybe he threw away his wife and, and married a 16-year-old. In the world of Monica Levinsky, everything goes. Anything is possible. Ribani Shalala, I don't deny anything is possible. But I never had an experience like that. He introduced me to her. She looked like she was one of my students in Madrashit Maria. And not a day older. Mamish, not a day older. So, so you wrap the girl with a bow and you give it to the son and to the son-in-law. Now she's your responsibility. That doesn't exist anymore. The Chavetz Chaim, fiddler on the roof. The Chavetz Chaim already says, they're going to high school, right? The Rub says, they're going to college. The Labavitcher Rebbe says, they're going to college. So both the Rav and the Rebbe said exactly the same thing. They turned the Mishnah around, word by word. Both said the same thing. If you don't teach a girl Torah on a high level, then you're really teaching a Tiflet. You understand? Because she's studying this and that, the other thing, she's getting a master's, a PhD, comes to Shas and Paiskim, she doesn't know. She, she's not, okay, this is the Heta Bizman Hazer. It's not just the Heta, it's that simply our lifestyle turned around. So that this is Bebechina, Torah Shabbat Peh, Eit Lasot Lashem, my favorite Torah Techa. My only problem is, which is the ideal. Now, and this translates right down the line. You understand? In the YU world, or my world, I don't have a beard, I don't have face, I don't dress in black. I have every right to live the way I do. Or no, the ideal is we all have to be black and all have to be... But you see, there's only one problem with that, Shita. And that problem is the first day I arrived in Russia. I had the most terrible shock of my life. Here you come into Russia the first time in your life and you're frightened and you have every reason to be frightened and you've gone through hell with the KGB and they scared you at point of entry. And as much as the Mossad prepared me for this, you can't imagine what it's like to actually experience it. Someone that never got a parking ticket, that suddenly the KGB is pulling me apart and doing a body search. You understand? You're frightened out of your wits. You finally arrive at the hotel. 2 a.m. I got to the hotel. I come out on the streets of Moscow, 9.15. Daybreak is first taking place. The snow is two feet high. I have to find the synagogue. And I come out and I'm standing on, on, on Lenin Prospect, Gorky Prospect, and I take a look, I think I'm in Machne, I think I'm in Geula, on Chag Hashvuot. I couldn't believe my eyes. As far as the eye could see, every Russian is wearing a Strymo. And then I realized, it took me a whole minute to realize, that isn't the Strymo, that's an anti-Strymo. That is the proof that the Strymo has no religious significance whatsoever. You can give it all the perishim in the world. A streimel is a Polish-Russian hat that they wore during the winter because the temperature there is 30 below zero, 20 below zero, 25 below zero. If it's only 10 below zero, you're jumping for joy. The day's not so cold. You understand what I'm saying? So you've got a long way to go to prove Taranak Kefet that an ideal Torah civilization is black and this type of dress, etc., I feel Torah ideally fits into every civilization. It's exactly Torah Labanad, exactly the Chafetz Chaim, exactly my Rebbe, exactly the Lubavitcher Rebbe, exactly the Gemara 
in relation to writing down Torah Shabbat Peh. And that Gemara is a tremendous, tremendous problem. You see, if you take the attitude, nothing changes, we have to strive, that whole Gemara flies in your face. Now, I have married the Torah. The first piece of the insights, and Shavstein told me it was very moving, is right where the Rav talks about the Gemara. Very moving, different Torah. But we have to leave that for another time until the book appears. But hey, that's a diversion, but that's Ephraim, what's troubling you? Yeah. I, I don't want to waste time in this. Just get to the point because I want to come back to that guy. I don't want to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's the famous Rashi. Right, that's why when you teach it today, you have to teach it properly. That's why the Rav and the Lubavitcher Rebbe both said if today it turned around, if you don't teach it Torah properly, you are teaching a Tiflet. Understand? That's exactly their point of view. Because since they have all this knowledge, so you're just going to teach them one little Pasha, they'll be shrewd. It's not going to help. You have to give them a context. They're going to laugh at it otherwise. These are women who are PhDs. Her Torah knowledge has to equal her secular knowledge. Yeah, no, that, that, no, what, no, no, that, that's a different, that's, no, no, let, let me make something clear. General, you're going to take me off course the whole year, but I might as well show you that I, that Baruch Hashem I know a little bit. Let me, let me make something clear to you. The Ramah, you see, when we say women are exempt from Torah study, that's an absolute, total, complete falsehood and lie and fabrication and a Moritz and an ignoramus talks like that. Women are obligated in Torah study. A thousand percent. But it's a different Torah study than men. Women are obligated for the sake of knowing how to observe Torah. How can a woman of Shabbat, Kashrut, Tarat, Mishpacha without knowing what to do? Follow me? But a man's obligation is called a Torah Kula. We don't learn Torah for the sake of observance. We learn Torah way beyond that. For the sake of Talmud Torah, we have to learn uh, Kajim and Tarot, and we have to review and go deeper. You can never say, this is the Birchat Shmuel, the famous Birchat Shmuel. Uh, it's page 48 to 52 in the Birchat Shmuel to Mesechit Kedushan, following Paragalaf. This is Rebarach Beleibovich, and it's Zil Krebe it's axiomatic. So women are high, this is the Ramas Psak and Reshman Vav and Yoradeya. Women are high of to, to study Torah. That goes without saying. But that's only Halachala Maisa. What we're talking about is way beyond the Halachala Maisa. We have a world today where women are being educated. There, that's what the that's what Lubavitch Rebbe is talking about. Now, in drawing up a curriculum, this goes without saying that the most basic part of any Torah curriculum has to be halacha And I'm not in favor of schools such as Bravindas, which I take an extreme example, and I don't know if it's entirely true, but people say about Bravindas, girls are learning Gemara and Rishonim, and they don't know basic halacha. Understand? If I'm running a school for girls, and by the way, some of this applies to boys as well, Learning is important. Get everyone involved in learning. Halavai. 
But don't forget the basics. And this is why a program has to be balanced out. But that's the Ramah. And Enochinami, anyone who says women are not Chayavot and Talmud Torah, don't know what they're talking about. The Ramah says right away, I mean, this is taken for granted. How can you observe without knowing? This is the, the Rav Shuchanarach, Hilchat Talmud Torah. The Rav Shuchanarach says women are Chayav, not just he says minor matters. You have to teach them Hilchat Nida, Hilchat you have to teach them Hilchot Malicha, means Kashra. Today, of course, women don't do Malicha, but Basavachalav. Hilchot Jichri says, you take the Torah Avram or Rav Avram Grzynski. Who is Rav Avram Grzynski? The last Mashkich of Slabatki Yeshiva, perished in the Holocaust. So his Talmidim, after the Shoah in Israel, put together, he should have a memory, the Torah Avram, in memory of Rav Avram Grzynski. In page 124, I believe it is, he has a whole sicha on what women should study. And he says so beautifully, people think the women only have to know the limited halacha that they observe. They have to know all of Musa, all of Midat Tovat, all of Yerit Shemaim, all of Avat Hashem. In other words, he expands the curriculum, all the sifrei Musa, all the sifrei Machshava. The Rav, of course, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe went further. And they were reacting to a reality. Now, I'm not an idiot. We are chayav to know all of Shas and Paiskim. We are chayav to know Kola Torah Kula. We are men. A woman is not chayavet. But Bizman Hazer, when a woman is going to high school, college, graduate school, her Torah training should be on the same level. High school, college, graduate school. That's the Rav. And it always goes back to the Chafetz Chaim. And Rabbi Meishe is right. What Rabbi Meishe told, what Rabbi Meishe told uh, Rabbi Koopman, it's irrefutable. He says, Vos the So you see, once you open the door, it's a question of the society. Now, this is a very, it's a very fascinating question. Is Torah an ideal? Or ideally, I throw out many problems. The Gemara and Gittin is an overwhelming problem. Think for a moment, no one in Lakewood is getting married at the age of 15. Why not? Yes. Right, no, no, not, right, so, so, right. So David, that's exactly it. Society is always going to change. The way we live today is not the way we're going to live 100 years from now. So this is the basic question. The Hasidic world says no. We don't care how much society changes. We wear a strimal, we wear this dress, we walk around the way we do. We want no part. But you want to know something, gentlemen, my dear, dear students. The chassid in America is already an American chassid. There's a big difference. You can't fight the civilization you're living in. Understand? Willy-nilly. And that movie, a, a, a Nation Apart, what was it called? The People Apart, that beautiful movie on Hasidus. Remember I told you about it? Normie Amsel lent it to me. Did any of you see the movie? Any of you see them? If I won't be a cheapskater, I would buy the damn movie, but it's very expensive. It's uh, sold, it's like $50 or something. It's a magnificent movie done by Hasidim. One of the pe- producers is a Hasid. But the movie makes exactly my point. It's a fabulous movie, but it shows the difference between the original Hasidim who came to America and the third generation. And this already is an American Hasid. And let me endorse this part of the Shia with one little story that says it all. Last year, I arrived in Florida, first time in my life. 
And I'm only gonna, I had arrived, someone picked me up, brought me to the hotel, the plane was good and late, it was nighttime, I couldn't rent a car. So I only rent the car the next day. And that morning I come out of the hotel and I have no way, I have no, no knowledge where there's a shul. There is no shul near the hotel. I'm in North Miami Beach, Adventura. I stay in this particular hotel because the owner is a devotee of mine and it's chinam in kesef. It doesn't cost shvutami any money. It's beautiful. Come out of the hotel, the minion and the morning minion, and, uh, and he has rented a Lincoln Town car, you should see this car. And I ask him, and he takes me to North Miami Beach, a person I never met, don't know his name, takes me to North Miami Beach to Davin. By the way, he was not happy with the Davining there, they were Davining too quickly. He later drove down to, to Miami Beach to find the Hasidish Minion. I got a lift back with someone else to the hotel. And in the car, I wanted to see Mativoshal Ubezeh. And I spoke to him, you know, you're a satma, you're a businessman. His wife is with him in the hotel. Think what I'm describing to you. I met his wife later, a sophisticated, elegant-looking woman. And we're talking about living in America. He didn't know what the problem is. The guy looked at me, what are you talking about? It's the greatest country in the world. You can make a living, you can succeed, you can remain a chassid. He's driving a Lincoln town car. I talk to him about dual culture, conflict. I didn't know what I'm talking about. I could have stepped off the moon. America to him, chassid, makes money, accepted. Beautiful example. It's an American chassid already. His zayda would have spoken differently. The problem hangs fire. Chas v'chalila. I don't tell you kablu dati. But if you want to understand the rav, I think this is the key to understanding the Rav. By the way, it's the key to understanding the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Rakefit said already in the 60s that the Lubavitcher Rebbe was not Haredi. People looked at me, Lubavitcher Rebbe is not Haredi. Beard and Peyers and Anabekisha. By the ladies already, everyone understood what I was saying in the 60s. And this is a very delicate question. You're free to choose any answer you want. But I'd love for you to explain to me the Gemara Gitten unless you take my point of view, I don't see any other way that you can deal with that Gemara. Yes? Well, all I can tell you is that it was printed in the Sichat where the Rebbe said at the Lagboim of Fabrengen in the early 80s, that I think it was 81, that women have to learn Gemara. I don't know how lachlamais I can't answer. I can only tell you what the Rebbe said. I, you know, if the schools don't teach Gemara, they're going against the Rebbe's wishes. Yeah, but I, I, you know, as a fact, they don't teach girls Gemara in their schools. Say them. Then, then all it means is that the ones in Toronto don't have the background. Listen, I, I'll tell you something now about the Rav. When I started teaching in 1971, in, uh, I, I believe I told this to from I started teaching in 1971 in Michala, so I see, you know, the girls are learning. It was a different Michala than a different Rabbi Koopman. So I wrote a letter to Joey Epstein. Joey then was very close to the Rav, my Talmud Joey, and I wrote to him, maybe 72 I wrote the letter, and I wrote to Joey, Joey, please ask the Rav in my name about teaching girls, how I should handle it. And the Rav answered, He's to teach the girls exactly as he teaches the boys. The only difference is, don't stress so much brisk with the girls 
they may not have the background. That was the Rav's answer, quote, and quote. In other words, the concept of, of Shnei Dinim and everything I spoke about yesterday and Chavsa Gafra, the girls may not have the background to grasp it all. Nowadays, I doubt if that applies. Nowadays already, a girl who's learning Gemara knows how to handle Shnei Dinim. Okay, but let's go further. That's, but I, I have to say that it's a beautiful concept. Kol Tomala Beit of Yisrael, Toma is Torah Shebechtav, Tagid is Torah Shebal Peh, it's another proof to the Rambam Shita. Was I right? Was it Hilchat Tamatara Halacha Perak Aleph Halacha Yud Gimel? Okay, and and what Rashi says the Gidden the Anshin again, very fascinating. Why men need the Musa and women don't? And I believe what Rabbi Salavechik said is irrefutable. Now, by the way, there, uh, I have to tell you, Nordlich just broke down. A, n- a great number of reels of Rabban Salavechik. So Milti Nordlich is now making available to the public Shayurm of Rabban Salavechik when he was in his prime in the 1960s, Hashkafa Shayurm. They should be invaluable because Rabban was a magnificent individual who dealt with Hashkafa problems with the students in the 60s, mamish, black and white, and this was in the prime of his life. Okay, so look what we said so far. Bikurim on the first level is Kriya. It doesn't go further. Haggadah on the first level is Kriya. On the second level is Torah Shabbat Lidrosh, with all that we explained. And then the Rav goes one step further. There's a third Chiyuv Tahagadah that has nothing to do with Bikurim. That third Chiyuv, Mesorah. It's not enough to learn Torah, not enough to dash in Torah, but you have to transmit the Torah. And Leil has said that there's a unique kiyam, that you're passing it on to the new generation. See, when you bring Bikurim, you're bringing Bikurim, and it has nothing to do with the next generation, the new generation. You can bring Bikurim, your kids, your grandchildren don't have to be there. Your Bikurim has to do between you and God. It has to do between you and God. Haggadah, the main thrust is not just your learning, your reading, your explaining, but beyond that, transmitting the tradition. And this is why we begin when we start talking about the Dalit Bonim, how do we begin it? What's the introduction? Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu Baruch Shonatan Torah Yisrael Baruch Hu Keneged Ababanim Dibrat Torah What do we need that introduction? What are these words doing here? Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu Baruch Shonatan Torah Yisrael What do we need this Hakdama? And here's the Rav's famous thought. It reminds us of Pichat Torah. It's a kitzur of Birchat Torah, and what's the thrust of Birchat Torah? V'niya kulano yodei shemecha v'lomdei toratecha lishma baruch atah Hashem hamalamed Torah la'amo Yisrael. And crucial is transmitting melamed niya kulano. This is what Sipur Yitziyot Mitzrayim is about. Bikurim, Kriya Pasha. Nothing to do with Dorcha Hemsheikh. Leil HaSeda, not only Kriya Pasha, not only Limera Torah, Yedei Torah Shabbat Peh, Yedei Dashanut, 
But perhaps the most important aspect, transmitting it to the next generation. And then the Rav went one step further. And here we come, this is quoted and re-quoted basic to the Rav. And then we start talking about the four questions. Manishtana. The whole Haggadah begins with questions. Before you begin anything, questions. Khan Haben Shoel. Why? Why is the Haggadah placed within this framework of questions and answers? Why do you need the questions for? Abadim Hayinu, Tashin out, Kenegrabadam Rabbanim Divrat Torah, Maisibiv Nebrak. Why did you have to begin with the questions? Why are the questions so crucial? Why did the Anshay Knesset Hagadola place the whole Haggadah within a framework of questions? And the Rub said, because God wants us to be God seekers. Torah encourages questions. You can only reach God if you seek and you search for Him. And this is what Torah is all about. It's a meritic thought here. Because you see, there's a very delicate question. Who's on a higher level, a BT or an FFB? And just think for a moment. From from birth? When did you seek? When did you search? You had parents. Are you really from? Did you ever make a decision on your own to become a Torah Jew? Did you ever question, seek, search, look, hunt? A BT? And this is Pshat. A BT? And that respect is on a higher level. Because he arrived at a Kaddish Baruch Hu after seeking and searching. God reveals himself to the individual who seeks and searches. It's an open Pasuk. The Varim Perik Dalet Pasuk Chavtet. Ubikashtim misham et Hashem elokecha umatsata kitidreshena b'chol avavacha uv'chol nafshecha. Pasik in the varim, you bet pasikai, lishik no tidrishu ubata shama. And the Rav quoted a Meridik Ramban. We'll end off with this Ramban. A Meridik Ramban. Quoted it here, quoted it in Boston when he devoted one of the Yachikala to the to the Ramban in Sefer Devarim. Gave an entire shear on this Ramban. The Ramban says on this Pasuk, What's the Rambam saying? Fabulous. That when you come a Lorego, you don't know the way. Person knows how to find a way. His hometown. 
Yerushalayim, I know how to drive. Come to Florida, come to New York, you have to ask directions. You have to ask directions. People are coming, Aliyala Regal, they know they want to go to Yerushalayim. They don't know the exact way. They have to question. The Ramban. How do we get there? Where are the signs? The Tomru Isha Reyehu, Lechuvan Alel, Ha Hashem. El Beit Elokei Yaakov. What does the Ramban mean? Why is this so important? What's the Godlet here? Why is the Rambam stressing this? What does he mean? Alright, you have signs. This road, that road, this highway, that highway. You buy a map, fine. Travel here, travel there. Route 95, Route I-95. Route 1, Route A-1. A-1A. Collins Avenue. Bathurst in Toronto. Montreal, I don't know. My apologies, Naftali. What, what, what does the Ramban mean? And the Rub explains so beautifully. No, the Ramban means something much deeper. That as the person approaches the Har Habayid, he starts questioning. Just don't go without questions. Don't go. It's rather you're going, you hike it to you, you're going, you're walking, you're not thinking. No. The Rambam is a Tommy Shreyo, Luchuvan Aleh, El Harashem, El Beit Elokeyakov. What does Harashem mean? What does Beit Elokeyakov? Vitishalu, on the Derek Beit Hashem. How do we get there? How do we accomplish? How do we climb? How do we succeed? How do we live as Jews? How do we interpret civilization within the context of Torah? And what the Ramban is stressing, it's not enough just to, to fly in, to waltz in to the Beit HaMikdash. That's the lowest level of fulfillment. The guy waltzed in, he came in, you know, Birchat Kahanim, planes come in from England filled with Jews that are coming in just for the Birchat. And they go back the next day, it cost them a few hundred dollars, people who have money, what's the big deal? Birchat Kahanim, 1500 Kahanim at the Kotel, beautiful, fine, good, they waltz in, they waltz out. That's not good enough. That's the lowest level of the Kiyom. But what the Rambam wants here, when you're going to Beit Hashem, the Rav's words, seek and search, question, study. It has to be a spiritual aliyah, not just a physical aliyah. It has to be an emotional aliyah, not just a physical aliyah. It has to be an intellectual aliyah, not just a physical aliyah. These are the words of the Ramban. And the Rav said, Moshe Rabbeinu said the exact same thing to Yitro. What did he say to Yitro? Shmot Yudchet Pasuk Tidvav Ki Yavo Elai Ha'am Lidrosh Elokim The people come to me Lidrosh Elokim It's not just questions. It's not just guidance but they are seeking and searching they want to become God intoxicated this is what's involved in Aliyah Laregel this is what's involved in seeking and searching this is what's involved in asking questions and this is why Leil Haseda where transmitting the tradition becomes so crucial, becomes so basic, becomes so important, 
We wanted to begin with questions. We don't want the youngster to take anything for granted. We don't want the youngster to be satisfied with just a physical evening, an evening of rote, an evening of recitation, an evening where the youngster does not interact. We want him to be part of the drama. We want him to question. We want him to interplay. We want him to begin that whole Haggadah. He should understand, question, seek, search, take nothing for granted. Why are you here? What is your destiny? Why are you a Jew? And this is why Chazal Wometakin the Haggadah right within the questions, right within the context of the Abba Kushiyot of the four questions. Now, it's a Meredith piece. I, 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 you can understand this can be used, but I'll go further next week. The Rev said something more. I, have to, I don't have to tell you. By this time already, the audience is shaking with him, is glowing with him because he's talking to an audience. This is the mid-70s. You know yourself what was going on then. And here the Rav, this is the Rav, the pristine Rav, the heart of the Rav. And this is where the Rav is very different. You see the way he touched up the Ramban. What does the Ramban mean? Just physical directions? That's what the Ramban's talking about? Who needs the Ramban to tell me that? Obviously, if I'm going on a new highway, I have to have directions. How to get to my goal? How to get to Yerushalayim? But when you look at it, this way, here the youth is rebelling, the world is caving in, we're reestablishing ourselves in the Western world, it's after the Holocaust, the state of Israel. Seek and search and question. Be a God seeker. That's the word the Rav used in the Yachekala. And, and this is the way to inculcate Judaism. Of course, you can see right away there's a big difference here between the Hasidic world or the, or the Litvisha right-wing yeshiva world. I don't believe uh, they would take this approach in the sense that the Rav does. But this is the Rav. This is the uniqueness. This is the pristine essence of the Rav. Okay, so let me reiterate. Uh, do, me, do me a favor, David. There are tapes here. T- take uh, take them apart, but one I want to set up just so I can record the words of Hashkafa for um, for Jack. So let me reiterate. What did we do today? We we started the shear. The heart of the shear will come next week. Next week I have amazing and amazing material to tell you beyond the shear. What happens to the Rav afterwards? You'll have you'll have a good laugh out of it. But anyway, what did we do today? We we dealt with Pashat Bikurim and uh, and the Haggadah. We showed the similarities. On the first level, it is a din in Kriya, but beyond that, it's 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 totally different. On the second level, we spoke in terms of dashing the Torah Shabal Bal Peh, the Torah Shabal the Torah Shabal Peh. What dashing means? The difference between drush, uh, the the no no. Uh, put the tapes on it. The two, no, no, no. Don't, don't touch it. Put put the labels on it. The two labels and put master on it, so we know that that's the master. We spoke in terms of of dashening. What does dashening mean? It means drush. It means mishnah. It means gemara. We spoke in terms of men and women. The difference. What the Rav quoted. Told Tomala Beit Yaakov. Yisrael. And that got us involved in the whole question of women in Talmud Torah. Uh, within within the context of that, uh, no no. What are you doing? It says are there stickers that say master. That's what I'm referring to. And 
That got us involved with the whole question of women in Talmud Torah, and we went into the Rambam, and I tried to explain the Rav's viewpoint. On that level, the Rav basically is no different than the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and uh, according to Rav Moshe, it all begins with uh, with uh, the Chavetz Chaim. I'll come back to it in one second. There's one thing I wanted to tell you, which I didn't tell you, uh, and I, I meant to tell you. On the fourth point, we got involved in transmission. That's the third point, and once we get involved in transmission, it leads into the fourth point, with the questioning, the God seeking, searching, the shoe, big shoe, and we'll pick up on this next week. You know what I wanted to tell you? One other point that only I can say this. You'll understand why in a moment. In one of the volumes that come out after the first five of Reb Meisha, so the f- volumes that come out afterwards, progressively, have less to do with Reb Meisha, more to do with his children and family. I think it's the seventh volume or the sixth volume, I forget which volume, Reb Moshe deals with Talmud Torah for women. And he takes a very negative viewpoint. So I don't know why the family came to me, they wanted something from me. I don't remember the, all the details, but what I do remember is, oh, I remember already. They asked my permission to publish a tshuva, which was against me by Reb Moshe. And I and they did, and I pleaded with them to mention my name. They didn't mention my name. It's a whole story. I, I, I don't. I want to be very brief. But I, I wrote a 50-page article on Reb Meishe's Chivot in English, and the family forbade me. I shouldn't publish it. Reb Meishe very sad. He doesn't want his divrei Torah in English. So if Reb Meishe didn't want it, I desisted. I'm telling you a very quick story. So Reb Meishe wrote a Chivot. Someone in Eretz Yisrael, someone you fly him. So the family came and asked me permission. They want to publish it. I said, my greatest honor, my greatest pleasure. I pleaded with them, use my name, but they didn't imagine I would have an achiever. Reb Moshe heard that Rakefet in Yerushalayim wrote, and he told Rakefet, Asfachlili should publish, but they didn't use my name. It appears in one of the later volumes. When they came to me that time, they told me about the Chivra Mishnah that had been published, that that's not really Reb Moshe's viewpoint. Someone wrote it in his name, but really he's in favor of girls learning Mishnah, and in a subsequent volume they'll correct themselves. So I don't know whether they have or haven't corrected themselves, but... Reb Moshe Balpeh, as far as I understand and what the family told me, that's what I meant, only I can say this, I don't know how many other people they said it to, Reb Moshe Balpeh certainly agrees with the Rav. Reb Moshe Bichtav, and this is very difficult, once you go through the first five volumes, it's hard to know what Reb Moshe wrote, what the family wrote, whose opinion you're hearing. And that remains a problem, which is exactly the stage and framework for the first thing I want to say today. Now change it. Please give me uh, Ephraim's article.